0: In the name of Jesus, Amen. Dear Saints, last week we learned that the benefits that baptism gives are this, that it works the forgiveness of sins, it rescues from death and the devil, and that it gives eternal salvation to all who believe this, as the words and promises of God declare. And the question for today is how? How can water do such great things? Well, in order to answer the question, I first need to say this, that when God planned this world, and when he planned the heavens and the earth, and he planned to create us, he planned to knit you together in your mother's womb, and when he planned even to redeem you from all of your sins, he did not ask anyone's advice. He didn't ask for anyone's guidance or help or their direction. He didn't ask if anyone, anyone, if he should take our place and be beaten upon the cross, mocked and spit upon, wear a crown of thorns and then die upon the cross. He didn't seek counsel for any of this. It was his design, his plan. It was his choice. And he simply did it. And we don't reject or argue what he did on the cross. We simply bow our heads and we marvel at what he has chosen To do for us. And just as the Lord did not ask anyone their advice on how to win our salvation, so too he did not ask anyone's advice on how to give and distribute the salvation. He didn't ask for input or ideas or our recommendations, he didn't ask if we would like for faith to come by hearing the word of Christ or if we would like to be saved by the water of baptism, or if we would like for him to forgive us through the very body and blood of Christ in the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. He didn't ask about that. This too was alone God's decision and plan. He simply gave these things. And just as we don't reject his crucifixion because nobody asked for it, neither do we reject the way in which he applies the merits Of the crucifixion to us, that is through baptism and the word, and the Lord's supper. We simply bow our heads and we marvel at what the Lord chose to do for us. Now, uh, you you'd think I could end the sermon right here uh, because everyone would receive this with joy and say thanks be to God. Uh, You'd think that Christians wouldn't argue this or fight this and gladly give their confident amen and say, look. Whatever the Lord has said, that is how it goes. However he wants to give it, that is how I'll receive it. And yet, history proves the opposite. That people have rejected the word of God. They have fought against it. And the reason they've done so is because they read the Bible with their own philosophical presupposition before reading the text. In other words, they already made up their mind about what God could and couldn't do, what he will and won't do before they opened up the Bible, before they picked it up. So take, for example, a man by the name of Ulrich Zwingli. He was a leader of the Reformation in Switzerland about 500 years ago. And he completely rejected the means of grace. He rejected baptism and the Lord's Supper. And he rejected the way in which God gives us salvation through these things. And the reason he did this is because he had this idea in mind before reading the Bible. This was his thinking, his thought process. He says, look, God can do anything. And so since God can do anything, that means he doesn't need a means of grace. He doesn't need a vehicle or an instrument to get this stuff to us. He can just give it directly to us immediately. So therefore, since God doesn't need to use the means, he doesn't need water or bread and wine or the word, since he doesn't need it, therefore, he doesn't use it. That was his thinking. Simply put, God doesn't need to do it this way, therefore, he doesn't do it this way. And so he concluded that baptism is then unnecessary. In fact, baptism is a hindrance to the Christian life, is what he would say. And what he did is he had a conclusion in mind first, and then he read the scriptures. He arrived at this point not by looking at what God commanded, but rather at what his mind concluded. For Zwingli, it wasn't about what the Lord said, it was about what he thought about what the Lord said. What he thought about those words. Now, it goes without saying that this is a very absurd way of doing theology, of simply coming up with an idea first and then forcing that upon the text. Uh, And yet many uh, do do theology like this. Now, the first thing to note is that just because God can do anything, that doesn't negate the things he has said. In fact, it proves it to be true all the more. Because there is nothing that God cannot do, therefore it follows that we should trust him no matter what he says. Even if it sounds absurd, the fact that he can do all things, then we should trust him when he says he will save us and forgive us our sins in this way. Now, so, so the very point used against baptism just proves it all the more. Now, I can, I can go on and on about this point, about uh, this presupposition and, and these sort of things. But I think the time is going to be better spent tonight uh, telling you all of the ways that God has already worked through means. That he has worked in similar ways through all time. That he has done things through material things before. Okay, so the first thing to know is that God created the world, everything in it. He created the material, the visible, the invisible, the immaterial. He created it, and so therefore he commands it, and he has uh, the ability to use it in whatever way he wants. The second thing is this, is that God has already worked through material things even before baptism. Baptism. Even before he gave and instituted the Lord's Supper, he was already working through material things. In Numbers 21, God sent deadly fiery serpents to discipline the people of Israel, but then he had mercy upon them. And Numbers 21 verse 8 through 9 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and mount it on a pole when anyone who is bitten looks at it. That serpent on the pole, he will live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. So God healed people simply by looking at a bronze serpent on a pole. How is it that bronze can do such great things? In Exodus chapter 3 verse 5 God said to Moses Do not come near take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground Now how can that be How can dirt do such great things How can it be holy In Luke chapter 8, it says that as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she couldn't be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, behind Jesus, and touched the rings of his garment, the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. How could wool or linen Heal a woman of her sickness. How can cloth do such great things? God not only can do great things through materials, but he actually has. Even more, it's not like baptism is the first time that God is doing something great through water. Uh, He has done this throughout all history. Genesis chapter 1 teaches us that God created the birds of the air and the fish of the sea through what? Through water. Exodus 7 says that God told Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, canals, ponds and the pools of water so that they may become what may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Exodus 14 teaches us that God commanded Moses to stretch his hand over the sea. And then it says the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. Again, it says that God commanded him to stretch his hand over the sea again, and then it closed upon the Egyptians. Later, Joshua did the same thing. In 2 Kings chapter 2, God made an axe head of iron float in the water. In 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman washed himself in the water and he was what? Healed of leprosy. In John chapter 2, Jesus turned water into wine. In Matthew 14, Jesus walked on water. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus calmed the wind and the waves. So you tell me, how is it that water can do all these great things? How can water make fish and birds? And how can water move and divide in half? And how can water turn into blood? How can water make iron float? How can water heal a man of leprosy? How can water turn into wine? How can water be walked on? How can water listen to and obey the voice of Jesus? How can water do such great things? In all of these cases, the water was just water. And yet great things happened. It was not the thing, it was not the water, but it was the word of God in and with the water in all of it. And if God did, if he did these physical things and these miracles through things and through water, can he not also do spiritual things through the water? Can he not also forgive your sins and adopt you and make you his own? can he not crown you with salvation and give you eternal life through water? The same God who created water with the word from his mouth to begin with, who took away diseases through water, who turned water into blood and wine is the same God who says that baptism now saves you. So why would we accept and trust and believe in what the Lord has said and done in one place of the scripture? But reject what he promises and reveals in another. The same God who worked through all these things is the same God who works through the water of this font. Here he promises that something greater than all of these miracles is going on. Here he promises that he washes away the sin from your soul. Dear Saints, what you have received in your baptism is everything that Jesus achieved on the cross. Everything he poured out for you on Calvary is what he pours onto you in this font. The power of baptism is not from the water, but it is from the God who made it. The water obeys him and does what he commands it to do. And if he sends the water to do this, to be the means by which he saves you, then it does so because God is the God of all creation. Even the waters recognize him to be the Lord. And if the water itself obeys the Lord, then who are we to disobey him? If this is what the Lord has chosen to do, then who are we to argue? God has offered the merits of his son to you in baptism to be the solution to sin and to guilt and to death. It was God himself who made the promise to wash away your sins in baptism. And if that, then, is the way the Lord chooses to save you, then we simply bow our heads along with all of the saints in the Old Testament, all of the saints in the New Testament, all the saints throughout the early church for 2,000 years up to this very day. And we say, when the Lord says, baptism now saves you, we simply say, Amen. Yes, Lord, so shall it be. How can water do such great things? Certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things, along with the faith which trusts this word of God in the water. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen.